Hey. Hey, you look terrible. Whoopoo. Hey. Your friends turned green. If I didn't know any better, I'd say he was a dragon. Now I'm the king of the swingers, whoa, the jungle VIP. I've reached the top and had to stop, and that's what's bothering me. Trigonum Aquinas, Tricorum Satis D. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Mouse Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we are your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode will focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod or send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Kyle, we're back. Back with round two. It was a hefty Round one conversation. We had to split it up in two episodes. It was so much. Um, yeah. I, I don't know whether was, like that was expected for me or like that was super unexpected. But the thing is, like, we, we were talking about so many movies we've never talked about before, you know? That talking about movies in general, like how can you justify any sort of film without diving in as deep as you can? I mean, especially in in this like match in these matchups where I'm not ever sure where you're going to go. And we found out very quickly that we were going to go opposite directions almost the entire time. So that's what's going to happen. Thank you all for listening. I hope that you enjoyed a week of two shows. Um, And I don't know that we'll hit that three hour mark again this time around, but we'll see about it. And to help us navigate our way through and maybe join us for this marathon once again is Chels. Chels, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back, guys. Yeah, I hope you had fun last time. Those were some very, very good. Uh, discussions. And I really look forward to this episode where we are able to dive in even further into like the hybridness, because I think that you were, Chelsea, trying to get into a lot of the nuances of live action animation. And I think that's that's your sweet spot. I think you really like that. So this might be your episode. You may really take off in this one. <laughs> Let's hope, although I think you put the pressure on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm raising the standards here. We're going to we're going to do a big. Um, OK, so. We're back. We're going to talk about best Disney hybrid movies. We're going to crown that best Disney hybrid movie. But before we do, we got to talk a little bit of Spoonful of Sugar yet again. Chris, what do you have at the bottom of your liquor cabinet this time around? It's another random beer. It's (laughs) Moonraker Brewing Co.'s Existential Existence, which is a sour IPA. Mosaic, Centennial, Hops, Peaches, White Peaches, Milk, Sugar, Vanilla Beans. Uh, I feel like a lot of those things are conflicting flavors. A little bit. But uh, Moonraker Brewing Co. is in Auburn, California, which is in between Sac and Tahoe, Mm -hmm. if my California geography is correct. Yep. I'm drinking it out of my Mary Poppins uh, festive tea mug. I'm going to give it a taste right now. I don't think I like that at all. <laughs> oh, Sorry. No. Oh, wait. Wait. There's a little vanilla at the end of that. The aftertaste yeah. kick? Yeah, maybe I'll give it a few more sips. Yeah, I was, I was like, nah. Oh, uh, uh, <laughs> little kombucha girl. Yep. Uh, so that's what I got. Kyle, what about you? Um, after talking so much about Donald's escapades at the beach at the Burbank lot in Three Caballeros, I went ahead and grabbed a tall can of Kona Longboard. And I am feeling 
you know, summer's hitting people and I'm loving it. So I'm having this nice Hawaiian lager um, to honor the the weirdness and the absolute cringe that was three caballeros and Donald chasing these women at the beach. Um, Chels, what'd you got? So after we completely destroyed Mary Poppins Returns and the underwater scene, which was so sad, but so necessary, um, I stuck <laughs> with my original ingredients of this underwater theme with the lemonade and the uh, Kool-Aid mix and my fruit, but I changed the alcohol, and this time it is Long Island iced tea alcohol. I don't know. It's something we have here in Canada. I'm not sure if it's a thing in the States. But... Never, never heard of it. Right, I'm, go I'm going to need to see this. <laughs> I'm going to need to see so this. So I finished the bottle. So that'll be interesting. But so it's this Long Island iced tea. It's like a, it's a uh, clear liquor, but. That they called Long. That they huh. call Long Island iced tea. Yeah. So I huh. guess this is, yeah, this is just all the alcohols mixed already for you. <laughs> it's the gin, <laughs> it's the vodka, it's the rum, all mixed into one. Oh, man. Well, good luck to you in part two here. Well, so this is actually one that my mother loves to drink, and I think she mixes it with cola. I mean, like it says here, mixed with add cola and lime juice. So, um, so there's vodka, triple sec liquor, rum, and gin. Mixed oh into this God, one is- <laughs> bottle. Oh man, my college years would have been much more efficient if I had access to that. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, I'd just be ripping shots. What of- an invention! <laughs> Fascinating. Long Island iced tea liquor. That's yeah. Which is why, like, I don't drink Long Island iced teas because they're too expensive. Like, they're way too expensive. You were gonna go to the bar, so I didn't even really know what was in it. But this was, yeah. this has you set. Amazing, amazing. <laughs> All right spoonfuls in hand and it's time to get back to our favorite new segment we are doing the pull of the pod so if you uh didn't listen to part one for some reason part one one of this uh this bracket we have these disneyland 50th anniversary collectible cards that were made by upper deck and we are on a mission to find tom morrow who was an animatronic character in Innoventions. Um, and we're also trying to collect as many cool attraction posters as possible. There's a lot of objectives in this, but I pull a pack. We get five cards in each pack. I'm going to say what they are. I'll show them to, to you all, and then maybe we'll tweet about them if I remember. So this is pack number two. Will pack number two have Mr. Tom Morrow? I'm feeling good, honestly. Are you? It was definitely easier to open up this time around, so I'm I'm feeling good about that. <laughs> All right, first card. Bicentennial. So Ooh, this is them celebrating wow. the 200th anniversary of America with the Bicentennial Parade at Disneyland. The card has Mickey and Goofy in pilgrim outfits carrying an American flag. Goofy's on the drums. They're standing on a parade float. Uh, and yeah, the parade float is a massive bald eagle that is soaring above them as they stand themselves on a drum. Incredible. Number two, 1999's Tarzan's Treehouse. Oh. 
So we got Tarzan's treehouse. It is literally just a photo of a family standing on the treehouse. Pretty lame. Oh, baby. Buckle up, Chris, because we have 1955's The Mark Twain. OG. OG. Let's go. One of the many, 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 many transportation rides in Disneyland. Mark Twain Riverboat goes around Rivers of America. It is a black and white photo of the boat that is just fully packed. This is probably that day that they sunk. This is what I mean when I say waving with your elbow. This is like, let the elbow guide your arm movement. Like elbow moves first. So are you, when you're on the Mark Twain, are you waving? What's the speed at which you're letting the elbow guide? Right here, (laughs) right here. What is that? It looks, it almost feels like I'm going in a circle, but from, from the person who's on the shore, it looks like I'm going side to side (laughs) because this this is a great way to pull a ligament in your elbow, just going like extent tricep extension and contraction. Uh-huh. Like you're gonna you get Tommy John if you do that too vigorously. Whereas if you're kind of letting putting some shoulder and some pectoral into it, this is this is a much safer way to move your arm. All right. I'll cut that clip and we can show Tess how you're supposed <laughs> to be waving on these rights. New segment. New Arm side. exercises with Chris. That's how he stretches before web slingers. He, he goes around, <laughs> around gets the gets the joints loose. All yeah. right. Card number four. Going back to transportation, but it's one we didn't talk about. 1966 Columbia, Columbia sailing ship. Oh, I've actually been on that nope. sister ship for that one. The uh, can't remember what it's called. It was in Pirates. It was the. The little fast one. The um, interceptor. You went on the real one. Yes. Yeah. Lady, Lady Washington. Washington. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've also been on that one. Of Super course. boring, but eh. did you sail on it? No, my mom just took my picture. Okay, same. I want to sail on it. It comes to <laughs> Oakland, so when you're in the bay, we're going sailing <laughs> on the pirate ship. Baby. <laughs> we're going to tiki bar and go sailing <laughs> on Lady Washington. Let's go. <laughs> Columbia sailing ship is in the rivers of America. Uh, it's now really just used as the um, the phantasmic show portion. Uh, it used to be Peter Pan. Now it's Pirates of the Caribbean. And uh, on a busy day, it might also be sailing with the riverboat. And now it's time for our attraction poster. General, please. It is 1965's submarine voyage again. <laughs> Oh, let's go. So last time we had a submarine voyage like card, like baseball player card. And now the attraction poster to go with Pinocchio is the submarine voyage. uh, The classic. We've got a a set. Classic, classic uh, poster. Uh, That's so so great. This is a great card. This is a great card. So. um, All right. So no Tom Morrow on our journey this time around. Uh, We'll have to wait till next bracket to see if we can pull pull that infamous card uh but this was a pretty good pretty good set mark twain submarines we get a parade in there tarzan can can kick rocks the fact i mean the fact that we got columbia and mark twain that's i wonder if that was intentional yeah it's perfect all right pre-shows out of the way chris remind us who the demographic for this best Disney hybrid movie bracket was. Uh, they were easy to find. We found them before and we will find them again. It is fireworks, <laughs> spot savers, and that's it. People parking along Main Street, waiting for the fireworks shows, setting out their blankets, holding down the fort, making sure that their family has the best view in front of the castle 
to observe these fireworks. Very easy to find. They gave us 16. We narrowed that down after three hours to eight. And those eight are the number one Mary Poppins versus the number nine, So Dear to My Heart. The number four, Pete's Dragon versus the number 12, Babes in Toyland. Across the brackets, number 15, Christopher Robin versus the number 10, The Reluctant Dragon. And to round out the Elite Eight, it is the number three, Enchanted versus the number six, Saludos Amigos. Chris, let's do it. Let's hop in. Uh, You led off last time. I'm going to lead off this time if you don't mind. First matchup, Mary Poppins for So Dear My Heart. We talked a lot about So Dear to My Heart and the, and the historical significance of the train station, of the, the way that the animation was inserted as a storybook opening sort of thing, as a scrapbook in the middle of the movie, talking about conquerors and, and colonialists and, and the, worst, the worst people. And then uh, towards the end, you get a nice little storybook ending. Um, this movie was at the height of Bobby Driscoll and Luana Patton's fame. They just came off of Song of the South, which at the time Disney saw as a very successful movie. Um, they introduced these two kids that would kind of live with the Disney live action genre throughout the rest of the 40s. Uh, this film is very much of that time. Uh, it's I love these like 40s films uh, because one, using actual film, but then two, this like the set designs that they had to like create for this new kind of colored film medium is always so. I don't know. It's it's that false nostalgia for me, right? Like I didn't grow up with movies that looked like this, but that kind of rawness of these movies uh, without the like having the soundtrack beneath it the entire time, like there's not a score, there's some silence. You can hear them shuffling around a soundstage and like an actual stage, you know, there's just something about it that is, I, I don't know. I don't even know what the word I'm looking for is. Quaint, charming. That, yeah, charming, I guess. Charming would be the word. Um, even if like the substance of the movie might not be all that charming every single time, most of the time. Um, you brought up some of the problematic stuff that like they show potentially slaves at the very beginning on this train to to bring out the show horse. Um, there is something there's something weird about how they talked about this like black sheep <laughs> the entire time that the entire time I was watching the movie I was like, wait a minute. Is the what are what are they trying to say about this black sheep here? I actually um, got that too in the ending when they kind of very explicitly stated that uh it's what you do with what you got that matters in life. It was almost like being dismissive of people who might be like, hey, like uh you know, we're disenfranchised people. Right. Be like, yeah. oh, hey, you know what? You got, you know what? You just got to do the best with what you got. Yeah, I think, and that fits a lot with the narrative of Song of the South, which was like, not all, not all slaves hated it. Look at Uncle Remus here. He he got to hang out with animals. He was singing with them. He made all of these friends. Mister Bluebird's on his shoulder. Like it wasn't all bad. And then this is like, and now that you're free, do what you can with your life. Because that's all you can, you know, it's very dismissive. So, yeah, you're probably right. That probably was the undertone of a lot of this, this film. Um, if you view it outside of that scope, it is like a fairly qu- 
quick moving movie for the time when they could be dragging these movies on forever, which sometimes it feels that way. Um, we finally get to see the full context of Burl Ives singing Lavender's Blue. Because remember when we were talking about love songs and we hadn't seen this movie and we were like, okay, so I read the the plot and it sounds like he's trying to sweet talk grandma into letting this fair happen. Like we were trying to like connect these dots and none of it made sense. Now it makes sense. Like Burl Ives is the quick thinking kind of like witty dude that is trying to help the kids. He's almost like the kid translator for grandma yeah. trying to trying to butter up grandma to to let her let them go to the fair. And so he does so by playing music and he knows how much she loves music. So he's sitting in the living room performing all this stuff and sings to her Lavender Blue, um, which is a great, great song. Yeah. I love that song. Love Burl. Um, animation as far as execution of, pretty good. I don't remember too many like sketchy moments as far as the animation itself. There wasn't no. a ton of interaction with the humans that i can no. remember right it was just they were on their pages kind of just popping out of their pages and right you know he's going from scene to scene and then it takes over the screen as yes. like the animation yes um so not the most technically like uh ambitious movie but it was 1948 so what can you do it's up against the absolute juggernaut of mary poppins that we haven't really gotten to dive into quite yet um of course when you think of animation to Mary Poppins, you think of them jumping into the painting, chalk paintings on the ground and entering the polo fields and doing the the race around the polo fields, a jolly holiday with Mary and Bert. You got the animals singing. You got the penguins dancing with Bert. Um, you got Supercalifragilistic where they're performing with an animated band and they're dancing in front of them. They're participating in this kind of uh, call and response ness of that song with these animated characters um and it's just really whimsical i mean that movie is whimsical right they it's from the music to the idea of mary poppins a very whimsical movie in that first half and then it gets like real serious and like we're at a dark bank yeah and yeah all that good stuff yeah um but we also have some stop motion animation yes uh during spoonful of sugar when they have to clean up the room and she's making things go back to where they're supposed to go and they kind of you know somebody gets locked in the closet and uh and the doors opening and closing all that sequence is stop motion and i didn't bring it back up last episode and i probably should have but you had asked who in babes in toyland you thought it was probably gracie and exitensio that did the stop motion in babes in toyland it was exitensio and he did it here as well with the um the stop motion in the kid's bedroom and it was done just so well you know like for for 1964 in this maybe you have the budget numbers on this but for this what was going to be this big blockbuster film that they were hoping to make um the animation style matched it uh as far as stop motion goes and then the animation style of the hand-drawn 2d animation Look good. I mean, it, it was obviously like them standing. You can see where the real world ends with the cartoon world. Like the the grass that they're standing on is like AstroTurf. And then there's obviously a big like screen behind them because the horizon just kind of like cuts. <laughs> but they did what they could. Um, Yeah, it's it's still just got to be Mary Poppins for me. I mean, the, the animation sequences, the 
the stop motion, just the ways and just the movie as a whole. I mean, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, and it just works so well. Them going into an animated, you know, world is definitely what would happen with Mary Poppins, who is this. <laughs> is she a witch? I don't know. <laughs> She's this mythical being. Uh, it's definitely the number one for me. Uh, to respond to the budget comment, uh, estimated budget on the original Mary Poppins, six million dollars, which feels really low, honestly. Super low. Uh, given that's nineteen sixty four dollars, but it doesn't seem like very much gross worldwide. Again, I think this is either adjusted for inflation or like since release, one hundred and three million dollars. Uh, not taking into account spinoffs and Broadway productions as well. This production right. is the gift that keeps on giving the Walt Disney Company. Um, yeah, no, I'm with you. I think I think the fact that the hybrid makes sense in the world of the movie is is just kind of like the perfect aspect of of uh, any good hybrid movie. Um, and it's not just there just because they can do it. It's like it serves serves a purpose. I think honestly, you know, I mentioned like, oh, close your eyes and think about Walt Disney. Like, what do you, what do you picture? And I, I kind of challenged myself to do the same thing. You know, you have this iconic movie with so many famous songs and scenes. Close your eyes and like, what do you picture when you think Mary Poppins? It's it's Dick Van Dyke dancing with those penguins. Yeah, I don't know why that's like the moment that stands out when I think of like, what is Mary Poppins, uh, Candy Striper, Bert and Sunday Best Mary and the Penguin Waiters. Totally. Um, which I think says a lot about like the importance of the hybrid animation in this movie. Uh, you can make the argument that there's not a lot of it and maybe it's not super necessary to like the story, but um, I think it's essential to like the way we think about it. So I'm advancing Mary Poppins as well. So dear to my heart, going home. I don't think it's a great movie. Not a super enjoyable watch. I bought it on Amazon. Hey, if you want to watch it, anyone out there is not on Disney Plus, hit us up and we might hook you up. <laughs> uh, if you really want to watch it that bad. Uh, Chelsea, do you agree with that? Of course. And I mean, we didn't really get to talk much about Mary Poppins because we all kind of just knew that it was going to go through. So like some of the points that I have is just I think it really does capture the essence of what Walt Disney wanted his animated films and his animated characters to be. Um, what he really loved to play with is how you can build the character from who they are supposed to be as their personality and then bring out the idiosyncrasies of the of the being that it is so be it if it's the penguin you know they're they have they look like they're wearing tuxedos so then naturally they could be waiters and we see that portrayed like penguins become waiters now in animation and in several animated movies no matter what studio you go through and um i think one of the other things that he d that we were able to see in this is that um you can see the different fun elements that are played with in terms of how the characters move, um, which we saw a lot in Silly Symphonies, which I know wasn't part of this bracket, but I, I bring it up because um, you see the skeletons in Silly Symphonies and how he, Walt, figures, oh, how would skeletons interact with other elements? How would they dance? How would they move? And, or we see with Tigger and how would his tail bounce? Like he, it becomes a spring. So like he brings out these fun little elements that we don't normally think 
you know, a duck would have or a penguin would have or a cow would have. And now they've become ingrained in us that we just totally believe that in reality. You know, if I saw a penguin in reality, then my first thought would be, oh, that's a waiter. Like, that's a waiter. <laughs> and it's acting like a waiter. Or if you saw, you know, like all these different things. So then um, that what, that's kind of what makes this movie so brilliant for this category because we're talking about the hybrid between live action and animation and Walt does that in his animation anyways. So it's, it you really just see the two married together. Um, and yeah, it's just... It'll be this one will be definitely 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 difficult to beat. Um, and then, of course, when we see um, how the kind of story developed when we watched Saving Mr. Banks and it uh, kind of adds adds it all up together to, to where you can kind of understand the, the behind the scenes of it all. So, Chris, six million dollars today would be a budget of fifty point five million dollars. That's solid. Um, so which is still just like a solid movie. So it's it seems like they were like banking on a um a blockbuster. And Chelsea, to your point about Walt wanting to really um do justice to this kind of like animation interacting with with live action, that goes all the way back to the 20s. And, yeah. and he was do- making the Alice comedies in which he was yeah. putting a live action character into a cartoon world as opposed to everybody else that was trying to put um, cartoons into live action worlds. So he's always trying to think about what's that next iteration. And I think he really achieved that with Mary Poppins. So, yep, I think you're good. All right, let's move on to the next matchup. Number four, Pete's Dragon versus number 12, Babes in Toyland. Kyle's already shaking his head no, because no. what a matchup this is. Um, yeah. I mean, it's easy for me. It's Pete's Dragon, like no question about it. I... I will acknowledge the complexity of that uh, stop motion sequence that X10CO did in Babes in Toyland. It's really cool. It's very long. Um, Pete's Dragon without the hybrid animation, like you don't have a movie. It's like, you know, <laughs> Pete's Dragon ceases to exist. That's the whole point. And, uh, you know, as we get through the bracket, uh, I'm interested to talk about that uh, when this might go up against Mary Poppins in the next round. Um, the the essentialness of Elliot uh, makes it a great hybrid movie in my eyes. So Pete's Dragon with, with no further discussion. Yeah, it has to be Pete's Dragon. Um, <laughs> I don't have anything to say about Pete's Dragon because I don't <laughs> like it. Um, but it's a it's definitely a better hybrid movie than Babes in Toyland. You don't get that animation hybridness until you get to the end of the film in Babes in Toyland. And by that time, the story has changed completely. Like yes. It's, yes. it's a totally different film from what it started with. Um, and that's why I had meant at last episode, or I guess like two episodes ago, is that it feels like the movie was split in half where they were doing this like Broadway show or this like stage show using all these practical effects and these illusions and there's the dancing in the village and and the puppetry of the of mother goose and all of this stuff and then it's like we're going into the forest and now we're making a different movie um and so even as a as a best disney movie it's not it's not a good film <laughs> but at least 
Pete's Dragon is a coherent story, um, no matter how boring I think it is. And at least you get Kendall on the water. So I'll agree with you. Um, Chelsea, anything to say about either of these before we move on to the next matchup? I just don't understand how you see Pete's Dragon as a boring movie. It's boring. Can't, how can't is get it boring? It. Can't get through it. The poor I, child is trying, is his his adopted or purchased family, not even adopted. I have a deed. I have a deed. <laughs> it's, because, um, it's, it's because Pete sucks. And when I'm, <laughs> when I'm out on a character, then I'm just like, I don't care anymore. And the movie turns boring. Yeah, I get that. I mean, I didn't like, like there was many times during the movie where I was looking at Elliot and I'm like, why are you friends with Pete? Like, he's not nice to you. He's not nice to you. Like, why don't you go find, of all the villagers, you pick Pete. I mean, I get it. He needs you, and that's the whole point. But, like, I don't know. But I do agree with Chris. I think it's going to be interesting to see when it matches up um, with Mary Poppins. Is like, without Elliot, then you don't have a hybrid animation movie. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes up. That argument, yeah, this, yeah, that next round's gonna be crazy. Yeah. All right, let's move on to this next Elite Eight matchup across the bracket. It is the number 15, Christopher Robin, versus the number 10, the Reluctant Dragon. Uh, it's, it's hard to put a movie from 2018 up against a movie from 1941 and talk about technicalities in the, the animation. These are close, close, these are over 50 years apart, right? So it's like, it's hard to get into the nuances of, of the differences there. Um, the Reluctant Dragon is such a, a, a deke of a, of a movie title. Because yes, like, yes, if yes. you're going into this and you see the, the, um, the movie poster, the dragon is like prominently featured on this movie poster. And you almost think that you're going into this film and you're going to watch an animated movie about a dragon or even a, a package film for all we care, right? We're going to see this dragon and that's not, this is not what it is. This is a, this is a studio tour um, put behind this, this dude who is just stumbling his way through the Walt Disney Studios. First people like us, who are huge Disney fans and like to see that kind of historical documentation of these places, these historical places. Freaking cool. We love it. I think I think I can say that for all of us. It, it's awesome to see this like campus um, in the 1940s to people who are showing up trying to watch a cartoon. They're like, what are we doing here? What this is <laughs> what is this film? And so when I was looking up things about this movie it turns out that i mean i'm not surprised that this was like a flop of a movie when it came out Um, people just weren't wanting to see this uh they wanted to see a cartoon by disney and they didn't get that they got the making of a cartoon by disney what's also interesting is that this was the first time that they filmed on the disney lot as far as like movies go and then you have some that pop up here and there and then you get like the um, saving Mr. Banks, which is the the one that's filmed there, but so many people had never seen a live action movie being filmed on this animation studio lot that they that it took them weeks 
to actually shoot a lot of the scenes, just scenes, because so many people were standing in the windows to like watch <laughs> the production of it. Which in like the 40s, yeah, like movie magic, that's a very, very recent kind of topic, especially as we get into these sound films and the in the talkies. And of course, you'd want to see how it's done, right? You're going to be looking out. Um, and if anyone ever has time, there's some really, really fun photos from the making of this film in which they turn like the animation studio into a live action lot. And so there's tracks for the cameras everywhere. And there's it's just really cool if you're a nerd like like us. Um, there was uh, a model, Chris, in this film when he's going through the model shop and they're showing like a bunch of little models from a ton of different movies, some that hadn't come out yet, some that had just come out. They had a model of the drunk dude coming out of the bar cuckoo clock from Pinocchio where he like the doors open and he he falls out with this oh, jug yeah. and he hiccups and then goes back in, falls back out with, and hiccups wow. and comes back in. I was like, where does this exist? Yeah. Was, I had to <laughs> reproduce this because I need it on my wall. I need this as my clock. So I looked it up. And the great um, Kevin and Jody, who were contractors for the Imagineers in the 90s, who created a lot of animatronics for the company, who have helped recreate like the, the birds for the Enchanted Tiki Room when they fail <laughs> and they need to be replaced. This couple creates a ton of Disney stuff like that. They created one and they released wow. it in <laughs> the like early 2010s, I think, um, for sale. And you could like buy one. It's like a working clock. <laughs> and and so I went to find how much one of these might be reselling for. And it's like $1,500. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> it was a limited run. Yeah. Um, but it was just cool to like see these models and and think about seeing that for maybe the first time and if you were really into movies and and you got to see that studio tour and seeing like the reference models and the production uh drawings and all that stuff awesome very cool film from that perspective the animation was like forced in really it was is had nothing to do with the film until the very end where we get to see the reluctant dragon and see what this story that Benchley's wife really thought Walt should see and want to make and like what is this why is it so great and it turned out as you brought up last time eh, not the greatest maybe because of the voice acting but it was like whatever it's up against Christopher Robin and you know I think what makes this such a well-done movie and where it could have gone wrong is that they decided to make the characters the stuffed animals that they were that the cartoon characters were created from yeah. imagine if we had a live action cgi poo who was like yellow and like just a like a a, a space jam the new space jam <laughs> like just yes, the the yes. like 3d version of the cartoon yeah that would have been weird and not it would not have done the job. It was awesome to see that they went back to the original stuffed animals and made the characters that. And it just made them a lot more lovable, right? Because it made them look like stuffed animals. And that's how Christopher Robin fell in love with them. 
and created this world for himself of the Hundred Acre Woods, which turned out to be, I guess, a real place where his stuffed animals lived. <laughs> These stuffed animals had their own little world as stuffed animals in the tree. The story is very heartwarming. It's not anything that like you're out there trying to like pick out potholes. It's very much just like a film that you watch and you enjoy. Most people don't have very many feelings about it other than like they liked it. Uh, so in this matchup, oh man, the the nerd in me wants to go Reluctant Dragon because I love that film for its historical value, but could care less about the animation. And Christopher, I want to go with Christopher Robin because I feel like they did the hybrid thing so well that we don't even have to call it out. You think about like, oh, that movie had awful CGI. Oh, the characters look so fake. Oh, Mary Poppins Returns. The kid was in a in a bubble and it didn't even look good. We don't <laughs> say really any of that about Christopher Robin. No, it's just no. like, yeah, the stuffed animals look great. I think for that reason, I got to go with Chris. Got to go with Chris Robbie. He's got to move on. Yeah, um, I don't want to say Christopher Robin is like devoid of plot holes and stuff like that. The, no, I, the, I think the story is just so simple that we don't care yeah, to find the plot holes yeah. is what I was saying. I, I, it was a tough sell, the like the the finale for me when he like goes into the boardroom and is like, turn the pyramid, <laughs> turn the pyramid upside down and give everyone paid holiday. I'm like, uh He's like, well, then everyone's going to buy a suitcase. I'm like, well, first of all, your company should already be offering free luggage for your employees. Second of all, you're assuming that every <laughs> single one of them is going to actually buy suitcases. Buy it. And yeah. they're actually going to buy it from your company. Um, that I just, yeah, I kind of like rolled my eyes at that. I mean, I get it, you know. I thought what he, I thought what he was going to do when he flipped the thing upside down. I was like, oh my God, he's going to say we should fire Homeboy. And like, That'll right. save the exact amount of money that <laughs> we need to save. <laughs> um, and everyone will be like, oh my God, you're right. Uh, which would have made more sense, right? Like, Totally. Like you said, all in all, it's a pretty good movie. Pretty sound. Uh, Chels keeps talking about Saving Mr. Banks. This movie really reminds me of that movie. Like, not so much in like the content or the subject matter, but like the tone in it being yes. very kind of like subtle and everything is just like not done to the level that so many movies tend to try to do things. Yep. Um, just kind of like, just like quiet. And the pacing is is not slow, but not does not give you motion sickness either. Yeah, I'm passing on Reluctant Dragon. Going with <laughs> going with Christopher Robin. So okay. uh, I'm agreeing with you, Charles. Do you agree? So it's funny, I'm sitting here and I had, prior to us just starting to talk about it, I'm thinking, I have in my mind which one I'm going to go with. Then I hear the arguments and I'm like, whoa, 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 we need to debate this. Hold on. <laughs> and then I start changing my mind and figuring out. So anyways, obviously, Christopher Robin has gone through and that's fine. Part of me was kind of hoping that would be the case because I don't want to be the tiebreaker. I didn't want to have to choose. Mm, yeah. And I'm not unhappy that Christopher Robin moves forward. So, but I do feel that now that Reluctant Dragon is out, I just need to say my little pieces. And Please. so kind of what to what Chris was saying and how I continuously keep bringing up Mr. or saving Mr. Banks throughout all of these episodes is I loved 
while I was watching uh, Reluctant Dragon, I was kind of taking a peek at like the background scenes and trying to find comparisons between the background scenes that we see in Saving Mr. Banks when he's taking her through the studio. And then there was all of these storytelling comparisons where I'm like, um, you can see that the Robert Benchley in Reluctant Dragon, he's he is a reluctant man who's timid about being within the studio and and he's eager to learn about it, but he's also, you know, unsure of his surroundings. And the same thing with Pamela Tavers, where she was very reluctant to come to the Disney studios and share her story with the um, and, and have it shared within um, her story, sorry, told by that studio. So there was a lot of comparisons there that just always hit with me. And then also I loved it because in Saving Mr. Banks, they make all the employees and Walt Disney himself keeps making a point of telling her, do not call me Mr. Disney. I am Walt. You call me Walt. And then in Reluctant Dragon, he's always, um, Robert Benchley is always referring to him as Mr. Disney. I have a meeting with Mr. Disney. So it was just kind of fun seeing the two. If you've seen both movies, then you can kind of compare and contrast. So that really hit well with me. And then when you guys brought up the potential Easter eggs, now I just want to watch the movie again, (laughs) Reluctant Dragon, and like see if I can pick up, like did they, were they doing Easter eggs at the time? I mean, like it's a huge thing now for Disney movies right. to be to be leaving all of these little different uh, tidbits and, and, and Easter eggs. So now I want to go back and see if I can notice any. Um, and when it comes to animation, I feel, I kind of disagree. I do feel like it fl- flowed really well. Um, I think it wasn't, the very obvious form of animation was at the end when you see the reluctant dragon play out. But through each little bit that he goes through, there is some sort of animation. So like when he's in, um, I'm not exactly sure what studio it would be, but it's where all the final like rendered artwork for the storyboard is mm-hmm. produced. And now they're taking the snapshot of it. And then Donald becomes this animated figure that shows him this is how it works. How and it walks, in yeah. his Donald way, his angry Donald way. And um, and then you also see that in like the storyboard come to life um, from just the rough drawings when they're going to pitch a story to Walt Disney and um, sure. and with the baby scene, the genius baby. And um, that also really spoke to me because that's what I'm going through right now with my master's is is creating the storyboard that I would take to pitch to a studio for my short film. So that's that's probably where like it really hit home with me. So I don't disagree that Christopher Robin should move forward, but I didn't want to let um, the reluctant dragon go by without me saying my piece. <laughs> we appreciate it. We appreciate it. Uh, all right. Let's move on to the next matchup. Final round of eight matchup. Number three, Enchanted versus six, Saludos Amigos. So Enchanted, we kind of advanced pretty quickly uh last episode so uh, let's talk about it a little bit more um as we mentioned starts as animated in andalusia giselle goes through a wishing well pops out in the middle of times square and then has a new york adventure and then stays there because she realizes she loves new york and yeah. that's that's the movie um i i i will say that this movie gets a lot of play in in my house because 
Giselle is Julia's all-time favorite Disney princess. Uh, She very much sees a lot of herself in the character as a resident of New York City and as someone who likes to see uh, the joy in the world. Uh, so, So I'm quite familiar with the film. But I will say... Uh, there are a lot of striking similarities to Elf with Enchanted. I, that's my first note in this <laughs> is, is this just Elf? That's my first note for this movie. It's so crazy how striking the similarities are. It, it, the, it's just like a very obvious, I think, idea for a story. And that doesn't make it bad, but it just, I don't know, makes it slightly predictable. And predictable is not always a bad thing. But you watch it and, and you you know, it feels like you've seen the movie before. Uh, The depictions of New York City in Enchanted, surprisingly very accurate, Uh, particularly throughout How Do You Know? What is it called? How Do You Know? How Do You Know? Before I say anything else, Demi Lovato version playing in my head (laughs) until the end of time, until my dying day. I will never hear this song the same without without uh, the Demi Lovato playing in the background also. Oh when we were God. doing love songs, uh, I kind of broke down how much ground they covered during that song um, in a very short amount of time. But in, in like kind of like rewatching it and like looking at the, the characters yeah. that were present and like the little <laughs> moments that were present, like this is such an accurate portrayal of Central Park and like the types of people that are in there. You've got uh like people playing instruments from different countries around the world you've got uh old people like doing some random like ballroom dancing uh there's like a festival of people tabling you've got um some type of like cultural festival happening at the Belvedere Castle which is a spot where i run you've got uh construction workers a lot of construction workers uh people selling food like this is this is just a day in the park to a T. Also, when the prince guy can't remember his name, Prince Edward, uh, like yeah, Prince Edward, like hops down from like a bridge and then gets <laughs> mowed down by a bunch of bikes. Like that is yeah, so prince accurate. Edward. Like the bike traffic in Central Park is intense, and if you are not paying attention, you will get mowed down. So <laughs> that number, uh, I think, is is really fun. Uh, happy working song. I think was nominated for an Oscar. I don't know. Happy Working Song was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Original Song at the 80th Academy Awards alongside That's How You Know and So Close. So Enchanted dominated the Academy Awards wow. that year for Best Original Song. What won that year? Ultimately, Happy Working Song lost to Falling Slowly. An Irish musical romance film. All right. Cool. <laughs> so they had three right. songs in the category and they lost? Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> Enchanted, Enchanted had a 3-0 lead and blew it. Uh, yeah. yeah. Welcome to <laughs> Toronto and our hockey scene. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so um, regardless, like to have Happy Working Song nominated for an Academy Award, like... Yeah. Says a lot. I mean, I don't know that it's like the best song ever, but it's pretty good. Well, and especially um, when it's coming from Mankin, right? This is, these are yeah, all Alan yeah. Mankin songs. Oh, yeah. After yeah. his 
absolute domination of the 90s, I'm sure that his name comes with a little bit of power when it comes to some of these nominations. So that makes sense as well. So like during Happy Working Song, there are all these animals that are helping clean up uh, McDreamy's apartment. I can't remember the name of the actor, so I have to call him Dr. McDreamy. Patrick Dempsey. Come on, let's go. Derek Shepard. <laughs> he has so many names in this in this movie. <laughs> it's cool. I mean, it works. It's fine. It's definitely not as like clean as something like a Christopher Robin or whatever, but I think for 2007 or 2008, it was, it was serviceable serviceable hybrid animation uh you get the 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 primary antagonist the villain witch lady turn into a dragon at the end um and this is kind of one of those scenes where it's like i don't know if like this is real hybrid animation or just like a cgi you know that people put in movies all the time you know so I don't really think about that aspect when I think about Enchanted. Um, it's mostly the happy working song and the chipmunk sidekick. Again, cannot remember his name. Chip. Isn't it Chip? Pip. 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 Yeah. Oh, yeah. It wouldn't be Chip. Chippendale. <laughs> <laughs> the movie gets a lot of play in my house, but apparently I don't pay attention a lot to it. Apparently. Enchanted is going up against Saludos Amigos. We broke it down a lot on the last episode. It's a documentary of Walt's trip to South America interlaced with some fun animation sequences. Uh, it definitely feels much more edutainment-y oh, yeah. than not, uh, particularly when they're doing this segment where Goofy is kind of like the the model and the narrator is explaining like what a gaucho is right a gaucho is a person who plays a lot of snappa and beard eye <laughs> and gets turned um so i i kind of like that aspect of it like this movie probably makes a lot of errors culturally oh a ton. um but i'm not like educated enough to to notice that so to me it comes off as like a very honest attempt at edutainment and it feels like it's coming from a place of just like what's happening in the movie. Like they went there for the first time, they learned some things and they're trying to like retell what they've learned. Um, it's probably slightly wrong, but at the same time, like it feels like they're trying to do it justice. They're not really, I don't think trying to take any liberties with the culture is what I'm trying to say. Sure. I think the only place that they do is when they make goofy, the gaucho. Sure. Sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, enchanted is a, movie saludos amigos it's a movie but it's kind of packagey as well uh so i think enchanted definitely is gonna gonna advance here for me you guys want to talk some enchanted references disney references Let's do because it, it was Let's literally it. every other line of this movie was a reference yeah true so here's here's only a few of them because i stopped keeping track because i was like yeah i would be I wouldn't even be watching the movie at this point. Mentions falling down the uh, wishing well. Says She says, I fell down, 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 like Alice in Wonderland did down the rabbit hole. Pops up, makes a, uh, a little person joke, calls him grumpy. Not great. Mm. We can be better yeah. than that. Um, talks about the wishing well. Uh, they, when she does the happy little... Uh, what is it? Happy little cleaning song. Happy little singing. Happy song? working. Happy little, happy little working ha- song. Happy, work, Obviously happy working song. Right. Obviously, 
it's like yes, a, it's yes. a parody Whistle on while you work. because we get yeah. pigeons and cockroaches <laughs> instead of like cute animals which was great um in mcdreamy's office building in the lobby part of your world is playing because his assistant is jody benson who is the voice of ariel beauty and the beast is playing in the background of the soap opera um, yeah and yeah. even in that soap opera the main character is Paige o'hara yep from yeah she plays Bobby. that's our that's that's our gal right there um the italian restaurant was named bella note which is obviously the song that they sing and um Lady and the Tramp. And then the best one of all, Chris, is one of our characters is Adele Dazim. And it was even <laughs> before she was in Frozen. So it wasn't, this was not an Easter egg, but uh, we, got, we yeah. got a little Elsa action in this movie. And she, yeah. she's, uh, she's stern. She plays a stern character. In there this is one. one that you missed, though. Please, and oh, it's I've right at the beginning. Time. It's right at the beginning. The, when the storybook opens, who is narrating... Tell me. Story. Julie Andrews. Julie Andrews. Amazing. Princess Diaries. Right there. <laughs> Mary Poppins. <laughs> Mary Poppins. Yeah, I know. But Mary Poppins isn't a prince. Like the whole enchanted is supposed to be princesses, right? So. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So that, I, I mean, uh, of course, there's the there's the Mary Poppins connection. I, but. I would love, I would love to go on like the D23 website and it's like uh, Julie Andrews, also known as so-and-so from Princess Diaries. Is <laughs> Julie, yeah, Julie Andrews of Princess Diaries fame. Yeah. I mean, I'm cool. I'm cool just like moving forward, just referencing her like that from <laughs> now on. Sure, we could definitely do that. Um oh, also when I missed the old people in the park are the chimney sweeps from uh Mary Poppins, just now they're old, which is why they're holding those baked flowers that look like they're chimney sweep things as they like mm. dance. Um so that's a fun one. And then, Chris, uh, the construction workers in, in that scene, are they uh, the ones from Splash Mountain? Are those the hip-hop Splash Mountain construction crew? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Unequivocally, Cannon. without question. Canon. Canon. Yeah, I... I uh, if every viewer of these movies were as big of Disney historian nerds as us, um, then possibly saludos amigos could could move past enchanted but i think that enchanted does a great job at being a modern uh princess movie in that it just makes fun of the trope the entire time right and it's like basically taking on what the the 2000s were all about which was just making fun of everything else you see the rise of mockumentaries you have shrek which is making fun of the entire fairy tale genre um enchanted which is poking fun at everything fairy tale um and then one animated uh effect that they use is whenever that like evil queen shows up uh she shows up in like different objects specifically like when he's looking in like the pot of like apples i think um and she shows up within the the pot of apples and then she grabs one of them and takes it underwater and is like holding it and it's animated and then let's go and it comes up and it's live action again. Um, I thought that was cool. So I'm with you. Enchanted is moving on. Uh, Chels, what'd you got? What'd you think? So I'm fully on board with Enchanted. It was happening no matter what. 
any of you guys said. Um, <laughs> even if we we moved on, even uh, if you moved Solanos, on, I was be like, nope, no nope. power. Exactly, one hundred percent waving my magic wand on you two. <laughs> but it went through, so you're safe for now, and I will save my commentary for the next since it's moved on, and I'll we'll, we'll just move on and and I'll tell it then. Uh, all right, final four matchup. Is the number one Mary Poppins versus the number four Pete's Dragon? Are you joking? Are you kidding me with this matchup right here? Um, I get, I get the argument that Pete's Dragon would not exist if it weren't for the hybridness of this film. If our dragon, like the whole thing, is based out of making this hybrid movie where the dragon is this animated character. That was like the purpose. This was like a Roger Rabbit film where they're like, let's flex on our ability to combine the two mediums by making a full movie of it. We're not talking package films anymore. We're not talking shorts. We're, we're going to do a full hour and a half film that features an animated character in the real world. I get it. I understand that. Um, but. If Pete's Dragon didn't exist, this world could be a better place. And that's <laughs> oh what God. I think. And I think that is unnecessary. And it's up against Mary Poppins, which there are to some who aren't big Mary Poppins fans or aren't big Disney fans or are big Disney fans, but just aren't into kind of the early stuff. I understand that Mary Poppins can drag. Like there are parts during this movie that it slows, slows down, including the bank scene. Like the the bank itself is my least favorite part of the film, even though it's one of the more important parts of the film, <laughs> uh, only because it's just so slow and you have to sit through the bank song and. Whoa, whoa, slow down. <laughs> you, what? You like yeah. the bank scene? The Fidelity Fiduciary Bank? Yes. That's like a top two song in the whole movie for oh me. Oh my god, dude. That is a wrong take. <laughs> Think top of the two, foreclosures. Top two song is yes. the Fidel. Yes. Oh, all matters of private enterprise. So funny and so good and so catchy. Sorry, we'll save this for another bracket, but I would just like to go on record and saying that that scene is gold. Patiently, prudently <laughs> invested in the. It's when I go to the bathroom, and they're like doing the little like they're doing the little like pacing around, like so weird. No, but so good. It's when I go to the bathroom. Bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mary Poppins overall is just a better film, in my opinion, both production wise, execution of the animation in it, um. Granted, Peach Dragon had a lot that they had to do in order to make this dragon work in the real world. And Mary Poppins only had like that center portion of the movie, plus the the stop motion. Can't forget about it. But uh, Mary Poppins just feels like that right combo of hybridness that is that Disney aesthetic. Um, Peach Dragon feels like a, a test attempt at like what could be coming and mm. and we get that in like Christopher Robin, right? Like that's that's the culmination of their efforts. Even Roger Rabbit. Um so I'm going to I'm going to advance that that juggernaut. Mary Poppins is going to the finals for me. 
Yeah, I mean, I stand by what I say and how I don't think there's a movie if you take out the hybrid in Pete's Dragon, but I, and it's, it's really good in a lot of places and ahead of its time in a lot of places, but it also is a little goofy in places as well and feels very primitive. And for it to, for it to have come out like a decade after Mary Poppins and it feel like it's taken a step backwards or a step laterally it's kind of like suspect you know i'm not sure i like that um mary poppins like i don't think the animation serves the story in the same way but it still feels just as necessary like i said in the last episode or maybe the last matchup um but that's not to say that like i I don't think that there are not kind of sketchy bad moments of hybrid animation in mary poppins uh i i wrote down a few (laughs) for example when they like hop on the turtles to like go across the water mary and bert um like it's like a it's like a close-up shot of their feet too like on the turtle shell and you're like yeah that that doesn't look great today right uh the the horse stuff is like hit and miss for me like when they when they like go on the carousel and they come off the carousel it's great that when like the stick goes into the ground it creates like a little kind of like scratch in the surface of the ground uh-huh. but when like mary is riding alongside the horses and she's like oh if you don't mind and they're like oh go ahead mary poppins uh that stuff just does not look as good to me or like when bert is on the track and they all come like charging towards him and they all go past him and he's spinning around. Uh, it's just yeah. something with like the light. I think it's just the lighting or something just being like very, very different um, that it, it just looks a little goofier, I think than than I would prefer. But again, this is like super old movie. So like, <laughs> it's hard to be s- super critical. Um, but yeah, like the fact that you get Jolly Holiday during the hybrid sequence, the fact that you get super Cali in the sequence. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's the hybrid is more important. I think than I thought it was when I started this bracket adventure, Uh I was like, I was like, number one, Mary Poppins. eh, Like it, I don't think of it like a hybrid movie. I really think of it as a live action movie, but like in talking about it and in watching it, I'm like, yeah, I think this is really important part of this movie. So I, I went into this really wanting to like, if I had to come down to it, put Pete's dragon over Mary Poppins, uh-huh. but uh, I don't, I don't think I can do it. I think I'm going to go Mary Poppins to the finals as well. Charles, what do you think about that? I think it's fine, especially considering to just, you know, beat the dead horse, but saving Mr. Banks, we see how hard Walt had to fight <laughs> for Mary Poppins story. And how hard he had to convince her, uh, well, convince the, not Mary Poppins, but convince the author yeah. um, to to do what he wanted with the hybrid animation that I think it's it totally serves as to move forward into the finals. All right. So who will Mary Poppins meet in the finals? It is the number 15 seed Christopher Robin versus number three Enchanted. Um... I, I think I'm going to kind of use the same criteria I used for Mary Poppins and Pete's Dragon in that the hybrid animation is such an important part of Christopher Robin, and that's what makes the movie come to life. Enchanted, it also literally makes it come to life, but like it's not 
it feels a little bit more gimmicky or more like a comedic aspect of the movie, you know, kind of like a nice little bonus. Like, oh, that's a really creative way to do that or a creative way to tell this story or yeah. like a creative take on the fairy tale. Um, and it's just it's like the it's like the seasoning on the top is the hybrid in Enchanted. And like, well, that doesn't mean that it's not a good usage of a hybrid animation. I think when we're talking about like best Disney hybrid movie, like we really need to consider something that's like super essential to the story, super essential to the characters and the relationships and the way we think about the world. Um, and, and to see the world of hundred acre woods come to life in the real physical London and like vice versa, I think makes Christopher Robin the easy choice for me to send to the finals. I think you can probably use that same argument for Enchanted because the animation, the the idea of the animation is essential to the movie. She's a princess from this fairy tale land that comes into our world. And so unless she she has to come out of a different medium, a different world. A, like she has to come from somewhere else that doesn't exist on our planet in order for that movie to work. Fish out of water. Like she had like she has to come from some fake place. Now it could be something like I mean, so then you think about like elf, right? Where elf is fish out of the water, comes from this imaginary place, but it is on our planet. But for like our canon in in our existence as humans is that the north the North Pole exists and there are elves there. And this is what would happen if an elf came to the United States, essentially, right? But with this, with Enchanted, it's like a cartoon princess came to life and ended up in our world. Um, so I think you could translate that argument both ways, which is which is what makes it so difficult for me, because I also wanted to say that <laughs> like I, I, I was like, well, the animation, but like Christopher Robin could it have done, been done with like puppets. Is this like a Muppet movie? You know, like can, if they're using like stuffed animals, could they have just made those puppets and we would have had the same movie? It would have been. You know, puppets are synonymous with like comedy and, and goofiness, but could it have been that? The medium works for both just so, so well. Um, when I'm thinking of like best Disney hybrid movie, um, you know, sorry, Julia, but I don't really think about Enchanted all that much, even though that they they kind of qualify themselves by giving us all of these Disney references to be like, oh, but remember. We're, we're Disney. And you had brought this up actually at the very beginning. You're like, this animation is Disney, but almost feels not Disney. Like it almost feels like this was a, a Paramount animated movie. Like the, the way that they chose to light their characters was different than anything we see. And then what? Few years later, you get Princess and the Frog. And those, those two animation styles yeah, yeah. are completely different. You get Princess yes. and the Frog that feels disney and you look at enchanted and that feels like another studio may have produced it while you get these disney 
characters that we have all grown up with, generations have grown up with uh, Winnie the Pooh. And now we get to see them in this like cute stuffed animal form. Yeah, this is tough, but I think I might, I might do it. I might send 15 Christopher Robin. Oh my gosh. Dang. <laughs> Sorry, Chelsea. Oh my gosh. To Could we have imagined though that Christopher Robin out of all of these movies was going to make it into the final though? Not when looking at the bracket before like rewatching the movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, whenever Pooh's involved, I'm like, I always kind of like, Pooh's, Pooh's lethal, you know? Pooh's lethal. Pooh's lethal. So to kind of argue, obviously Please. it's not going to happen. My magic wand's not going to work this time. But um, it's interesting that you guys say that, like, the difference between, like, entering the two different worlds, animation and reality, because in, like you said, in, in Kyle said in Enchanted, she had to come from the animated world into the real world. Whereas with Christopher Robin, the only animated thing about the movie are the stuffed animals because when they go into the hundred acre wood it is it's real it's not i would have liked to have seen a mary poppins-esque you know um aspect to it where the when they go into hundred acre woods that it is animated Mm. it's animated or it's um Similar like to how they did, yeah, cartoonified like they did in Mary Poppins Returns with the glass bowl, where things were you could see they were real. Like in in when they went into the ceramic bowl, they had it was almost like like the animation was kind of like pasted on certain things, similar to how their costumes were. It was like the costume was real fabric, but it looked like that it was animated on, like the 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 patterns were animated on. So I. Personally, I think Christopher Robin would have been fine to be in the final if it included that. But in this case, the only animated aspect are the characters, whereas their world, 100 Acre Wood, is not animated. It's a super interesting perspective. Yeah. Because you're right. Pooh exists in this, like, dimension. (laughs) (laughs) it's, It's, like, still a real place like the woods are real the woods are real there's real flowers it's literally no different than your their live action reality i would love to know if they shot on location i mean i would i i I think like we're all kind of familiar with like uh winnie the pooh and and how it represents kind of like psychology and particularly like child psychology and like the characters are like manifestations of like different emotions uh and so in watching christopher robin that was kind of like what i took from it was was he cracked he finally cracked and and his like childhood he was kind of kind of have to like sorting through all of his emotions in a childlike way and this it was just those characters coming back to him you know and so like having to kind of like re-explore those old emotions and stuff uh so i get what you're saying but it made sense to me. Uh, and, and I don't I don't mean to like go back to Pete's Dragon because I had kind of a similar thought process when thinking about Pete's Dragon, how you were both like, why would this dragon go with Pete? I I never thought of him as an actual dragon, but like a manifestation oh. of this child's brain. And I'm sh- I would love to hear like Nina's take on it because she is a child psychologist, but and like i am extremely ignorant on the subject but a lot of times when you 
experienced trauma, you can kind of like project it in certain ways. And so I could see like a child who's been through what Pete has, has created this like, you know, phantom to kind of, right. He's created an imaginary friend. And I think that that actually like happens in life, right? Like when a child might be alone and, you know, having a hard time, they might create an imaginary friend to help them out. And so Pete isn't actually, Elliot is not actually going to another kid. Elliot, like he's gone. And Pooh, and to me, like Pooh, and the, the friends of the hundred acre woods, it's literally the same thing. Right. And like, uh, Christopher Robin just kind of decided he doesn't believe in them anymore. It's weird that like Pooh knew like the day and they all knew that the day that he was going to like <laughs> stop believing in them and they threw him a party to be like, congrats, <laughs> congrats. Today's the day you're going to like turn us off from your brain. But, um, that was my take. Um, hashtag Pooh knew. All right. We've made it to the finals. Is the number one Mary Poppins versus the number 15 Christopher Robin for the title of best Disney hybrid movie? This is tough. Only because the the how well done they took the technology for Christopher Robin and implanted these animated characters into the world. Um Chris just brought up that it's almost more of a manifestation of his like brain than it is actually these like characters. But at the same time, these characters are interacting with other people in the world. So like, well, and Mary Poppins could be the manifestation in the cho- ch- like the children's minds, or in Mr. Banks's mind. Exactly. Depending on which way you look at it. Um, Psychology. Or in or in Bert's mind, like maybe none of these characters exist, and Bert is just or <laughs> on MDMA when he's doing shim shim cherry. Or Mary Poppins is a manifestation in the kid's mind, and Bert is a manifestation in Mary Poppins' mind. And now we're just going through this dimensionality <laughs> of these characters, where Mary Poppins is so strict and stern that she needs some sort of character to balance her out, so she creates. Bert in in her mind and it's like Marvel's timelines. They're just this is yeah. all over the place. <laughs> yeah, into the pop we, we got, multiverse. We, we got Bert, Bert Bert variant. You're being pruned. Yeah. <laughs> Bert variant. <laughs> oh man. Um. Yeah. So I don't know. I I think that I can't sit here and take down Mary Poppins as the 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 winner of this bracket i just can't i think that when we think of hybrid movies your mind is going to go to mary poppins as it did with these fireworks uh plotters and and and, and folks sitting out on the curb like this was it done so well for its time that it still holds up to the whimsy and can stay whimsical because the movie is whimsical like we can still watch this and be like Oh, this is fun and this is light and it's and it's uh energizing without having to critique maybe some of the the animation slips that happen, like them riding on the turtles and and even some of the coloring when it comes to like the butterflies flying and stuff. Like there are some some moments of weirdness for sure. But I think it like the world in which that all exists is so fantastical that animation just makes so much sense also the fact that like they jump into a drawing and then that drawing comes to life is just the mm, chef kiss it's just like what had to happen they couldn't hop in there and then there's just a bunch of like real people in the painting like they 
they're drawn. They're drawn characters. It just makes so much sense. It makes sense, kind of, I guess, that like these... <laughs> I like to imagine that like Christopher Robin was so ashamed of playing with his stuffed animals that he hid them in like the hole of a tree. And so like the entire <laughs> existence of these stuffed animals in the 100 Acre Woods is really just them rotting away in the middle of this tree <laughs> but but they like they are real and they they come out and the technology is some of the better of a lot of the movies especially lately as the remakes have been rolling out in which they try to get really ambitious it's almost like they step back and they're like let's focus on the story and the and making sure that the animation looks right instead of doing all the special effects and i think that's what like made Christopher Robin such a beautiful movie. Um, but when it comes to best Disney hybrid, I have got to go with the number one seed. I have got to go with Mary Poppins. I think it's just quintessential what this bracket is all about. And that makes sense in the seating. I, I, I think it's interesting. We've made it this far in the bracket without talking about like the actual quality of the film itself, and yeah. like the story and the characters. Totally. Um, I mean, Mary Poppins, not only, one of the best Disney movies of all time, but like one of the greatest films ever made period. Uh-huh. Um, it's really, you know, factoring in the music and the sets, the costumes, uh, the characters, the story is just so good. It's about the children and their growth as well as like the father and his growth and the way that they learn how to become a family. Like for this being like a fun family Disney movie, there are some very serious themes explored here oh yeah um and very like realistic relationships being explored you've got like a workaholic father with like unfair expectations for his children and a wife who's trying to make change in the world even if it seems a little bit tacky the way it's presented in mary poppins but still um christopher robin i'm liking the story on christopher robin as well um i think that like I said, it feels a lot like Mary Poppins Returns. Did I say that yet? I meant to say that at the beginning, but like, you know, Pooh shows up and like brings yeah. Christopher Robin back to his childhood, you know? Yeah. Uh, so like that's there and like that I think is very obvious. But they do a really good job kind of showing those smaller moments in Christopher Robin's current life to, to help it feel a little bit more realistic. Um, whereas like they just make Michael Banks a sad boy and just like cry and sing a song, you know, and we talked about him on our sad boy brackets. Uh, but, you know, seeing Christopher Robin get undressed by his boss and like working on those papers while he's on the train, like it makes it feel very, very realistic, very authentic. And, you know, just as like a little bonus, you get his daughter thrown into the mix as well as his wife um, and kind of about him releasing the expectations he has put on his child um, and kind of like uh, being able to really truly listen to what the needs of his family are. I mean, really cool. And like, as someone, you know, who, who has a full-time career and is trying to juggle my personal life on top of everything uh, that affects me. It resonates with me super hard. Yeah. Uh, at this point in time, you know, I'm sure that there will get to a time where like the, the Mr. Banks kind of like struggle resonates with me. A little bit. I mean, it's very similar, honestly. <laughs> but uh, but I, Christopher Robin was really working uh, working for me in pretty much every way. Uh, so the kind of like final thing, I I think what puts 
Christopher Robin over the top for me. Oh my gosh. Get ready. It's just like how prevalent the hybrid animation is throughout the film. Like who's there the whole time. Uh, 100 Acre Woods pals are there the whole time. Uh, Mary Poppins, the hybrid sequences are important, but they are just a solid middle chunk of the movie. Well, let me remind you that the a lot of the like set work in the chimney sweeps are like green screens that are animated Matte paintings. Of, like, yeah, smoke nah. coming up and there's some in there. If I have to, okay. If I have to throw the hail mary before we go to Chelsea. <laughs> oh, okay, uh, I'm gonna swat down that hail mary. Thank you very much. Uh, and I am crowning Christopher Robin the winner, which means Chelsea is breaking the best Disney hybrid movie tie, and we'll crown our winner. Here we go. So, up. lucky for you guys, I could already see where Chris is going. So I'm like, I'm going to have to make a decision here. I knew that that was going to be put in this spot. So I think I formed my thought process. So I think that Christopher Robin, unfortunately, suffers from its own disadvantage of it being a recent movie made in a time of modern technology. Um, so because of, we know how good it can be, we're constantly looking to critique it. Whereas Mary Poppins, we see it as, we appreciate it as animation, good for its time, even maybe ahead of its time. Yes. So there's that to play with. Um, I yeah. think in terms of storytelling, Christopher Robin wins by far. It is more, there's a lot of, I think, a lot of dead spots, as I was saying, um, either earlier or in the past uh, episode with Mary Poppins, where, it, like, it was a very long movie and it didn't need to be that long. Um, there was, even in the beginning, like, it took a really long time for her to get there, which, I I mean, I watched this, I watched Mary Poppins when I was a kid, and then when I was re-watching it, maybe I was expecting a little bit more similar to Mary Poppins Returns, I don't know, but... It just, I felt like it took a really long time to get there. And there was some spots that I was like, okay, like, just pick it up. So. <laughs> as long as you don't take out the bank scene and the fidelity <laughs> fiduciary bank song, you can, you, can, you can take anything else, literally Got anything it. else. Just don't touch it. It's more, it's more just like the Got dialogue it. scenes, which is funny because typically in like a musical, I want to see a little more dialogue scenes, less, not less music, but just a little bit yeah. more balanced. Whereas in yeah. that movie, I wanted to see more music and less dialogue. So for <laughs> storytelling, Christopher Robin, I think it really hits home and it's it hits all the emotional pinpoints within you that you just like, like I said, like you can quote it in any situation, all of these things. But this isn't a storytelling episode. We're not talking about storytelling. We're talking about hybrid and I feel like if Christopher Robin, if A Hundred Acre Woods was an animated world, that probably would push it over the top. She hinted but at it. it doesn't. Mary Poppins, I think, wins. The number one seed, Mary Poppins, takes the crown as the best Disney hybrid movie. And as we do at the end of every single bracket, we are going to clap it out. So it was it was fifteen one, which might be one of the biggest like differences in final seating. We have, I mean, it's the biggest biggest possible, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. I don't remember the last time that happened. That's that's incredible. Good on Christopher and Robin. and victory was in 
my grasp. <laughs> I felt it. I felt it. I tasted it for a second. It tasted like honey. I'm sure. And then it was ripped. It's okay. I'm proud. I'm proud of 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 how far we got. Um, interesting to see what this dub for Mary Poppins does for it being on the best Disney live action movie bracket. Yes. It's going to be very interesting. <laughs> yeah. um, we're going to have to consider <laughs> just how much the animation does play in a part into the, uh, the live actionness of this film. But we did it. We made it through after close to, to five hours, <laughs> four hours of talking about this. We did it, which was awesome. Thank you all for listening and being on this journey with us. Uh, Chels, thank you so much. First time host. You're on by far the longest uh, bracket that we've done. So I appreciate you hanging in there and helping us break some ties and providing your perspective because it was very insightful and we loved it. Well, thanks so much for having me. And I hope that because of how long it took that you're not afraid to bring me back on again. Don't know. Um, I have a lot to say, so... All right, everyone. Well, you know how to reach us. Do you have feedback for us? Do you have an idea for an episode? Would you like to hop on and guest host a five-hour episode of Mouse Madness? Please let us know. Email us at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on social media. We are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Discord. All of those are linked in the description of this podcast. We would love to talk with you. Till our next episode, folks. Let's go fly a kite. Oh,